Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Hi everybody, this is Fran Lewis And it's gorgeous outside And this is going to be so much fun because we're going to talk about this really cool book called Dear Derwood, and Jeff Bond is here, and I'm so excited. Now, for those of you that, you know, need somebody to take care of a problem, Derwood is your guy, seriously. This guy knows how to take care of everything. So, good morning, and how are you? And welcome to MJ Network. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Fran. Thanks for having me again. I always enjoy sitting down here and talking for a little bit with you. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm excited because this guy is so cool. I love Derwood. But there were several other characters in the series. How come, he, uh, give us some background about him, and he doesn't go anywhere without my favorite character, Sue Ann. I love <laughs> Sue Ann. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So Derwood Oak Jones, is, he's an ex-Marine. He's kind of a, a Jack Reacher type uh, tough mm-hmm. guy. Um, and he is a member of a freelance operative team. There's a, there's a trio called, that calls themselves Third Chance Enterprises. So he, he, he takes missions, big missions, with his partners, Quade Rafferty, who's kind of a slick-talking politician, and Molly McGill, who's a, a New Jersey uh, single mom who, uh, who pitches in as well. So the three of them take on big adventure cases. Um, I book. I wrote a book called Anarchy of the Mice that came out at the same time as Dear Durwood. Mm-hmm. Kind of the first book in the series. It's a it's a big, you know, 500-page uh, sprawling adventure. Um, but the second book in the Third Chance Enterprise series is Dear Durwood, the one we're talking about today. And uh, mm-hmm. Dear Durwood is, is, just focuses on the Durwood Oak Jones character. So, um, he, in addition to doing cases with his two partners, these kind of big, kind of earth-shaking cases, he also has this solo gig. Uh, he has an ad that he takes out in Soldier of Fortune magazine that solicits injustices in need of attention, he calls them. Um, you know, Derwood's a big kind of law and order guy. He sees the world in very black and white terms. Um, and I think, so, so he gets letters from Soldier of Fortune magazine. People write in with their injustices, he looks at them every month and uh, chooses one to pursue, and then he contacts the the party who's been you know had a wrong done upon them and tries to right it. So this the case Dear Durwood here is about the first of these cases that he takes on, and of course he brings Sue Ann. He's got a blue, blue tick coon hound who's very old. We don't know exactly how old mm-hmm. Sue Ann is, but very old, and she goes everywhere with him. So Durwood and Sue Ann get this letter, respond to it, and are going to go try to right some wrongs. Well, this is really cool because if you read the letters, it relates to what's happening in the news with people losing their jobs and companies taking over and unemployment. So right. that that's what really got me. I'm saying this is so current. So he took this case, right, and then he meets the mayor, and what's his impression, and what does she want him to do? Not an easy task. 
Yeah, yeah. So one of the letters that Derwood gets in his monthly batch from Soldier of Fortune is from Carol Bridges, who is the mayor of Chickasaw, Texas. Um, and it's kind of a small town in Texas, and there's a company called Hogan Consolidated that is the major employer in the town. Um, and as the book starts, Carol, the mayor, um, doesn't know exactly what's going on with Hogan Consolidated. There are a lot of rumors that maybe they're going to go bankrupt, maybe they're going to move out of the town altogether. And if that happens, it would be devastating for our town because Hogan employs so many of the uh, of the people in the town, and also their philanthropy um, has a lot to do with the services in town and things like that. So she's been trying to get answers herself in Chickasaw, Texas. Hasn't had much luck. So she writes a letter to Durwood explaining her injustice and saying, you know, we think things are going on that, that we don't have control over. I can't figure out what's going on. Can you come out here and try to get some answers? And so um, Durwood reads it among all the letters that he gets that month and decides that it's this is the case that uh, that he wants to take on. So he drives out there with his dog and meets with Carol Bridges. Um, he's got a real positive mm-hmm. impression of her. She's also ex-military like mm-hmm. him. She's got some of her war medals on the on the wall. She's very uh, practical, seems to tell it to him straight, um, and so he agrees to, to do what he can to see what's going on. Well, wait till you see what else happens. I'm not going to tell you. You're gonna like. You're gonna really like her. I hope. So, there's a there's a company, Hogan Consolidated. It's at the heart of this whole thing. Why are they the the main the main thrust of this particular town? And when Derwood agrees to see Hogan, what does he know that there's something not right about him? Yeah, so Hogan Consolidated, it's a manufacturer of industrial parts. They make, you know, hinges, brackets, these kind of unexciting but essential products. Um, And, again, it's one of these sort of family-run businesses that sustain Mm -hmm. the town throughout the years and things like that. It's the kind of place where, you know, if you you walk down the street and ask five people where they work, you know, four of them would say Hogan Consolidated. Um, So as the story begins... Hogan has been running this company for, you know, the family has been running it for, you know, almost a century. And now the the person, the heir who's in charge of the company is Jay Hogan. He's a very young CEO. He's in his, you know, maybe like his mid-20s. Um, and he's kind of your typical unworthy heir. You know, he was kind of a screw-up mm-hmm. growing up in town. He wrecked his parents' Hummer, stuff like that. Um, but he's, you know, he's sort of the only pitcher left in the ball, <laughs> in the bullpen. So he's running this company, you know, and in, and I think that's part of the injustice for Durawood is that, look, you know, all these people in this town who work hard and work honest, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they're at the whim of this Jay Hogan guy who's kind of a screw-up, but, you know, he's in the family, and so he ends up being the CEO. So Durawood goes and questions Jay Hogan to see, you know, what's going on with Hogan Consolidated, and, you know, Hogan is very evasive, and, you know, basically you've got some East Coast investment bankers and lawyers that are kind of targeting the company either for a takeover or, you know, there's some lawsuits pending against Hogan. So, But it's kind of a fog, and Jay Hogan is clearly not up to uh, representing the town and the company against these kind of big power brokers from the East Coast. And he keeps uh, putting Derwood off and saying, well, I don't. that's not my department. You know, you need to talk to, to Lyle, mm-hmm. Chester Lyle. He's the one who knows them. So, um, Der, you know, Derwood sees right away that this Jay Hogan is not going to help him get any answers. He's he's more or less an incompetent figurehead. Well, we meet Charles Lyle, who I didn't like at all, by the way. Not at all. <laughs> so he goes and he interrupts him. This was hilarious because I've seen this on television. He interrupts this Lyle while he's having lunch with his lawyers and his buyer. 
How did you create this group, and who are the members of this group that think that they're going to get away with a whole lot of stuff, which is really <laughs> Yeah, Not and Durwood, when Durwood, you know, he first goes and talks to Jay Hogan, doesn't really get a lot of answers. So the next place that he's going to go is he finds the investment bankers and the lawyers and then Chester Lyles, who's the person who's who's representing Hogan here in the case. Um, and he tracks him down at this kind of fancy steakhouse, uh, you know, and he kind of barges into the steakhouse. He goes right past the maitre d'. He's got his dog with him, <laughs> you know, in this fancy restaurant. And there's a clear cultural clash here because Derwood's again he's got the cowboy hat and the dog and and uh and he encounters these investment bankers and lawyers, you know, eating this big meal, uh, and they're kind of aghast that he's in there. Um and, and they definitely underestimate him, um, because they think he's kind of a simpleton, I guess. Um as far as creating the the group, I mean again it's a combination of bankers and lawyers. I really was trying to create a group of Characters for Durwood to be in opposition with that were the kind of amoral money men and money women that he just can't abide, you know, that really uh, kind of sticks mm. in his craw. Um, the, the leader of the investment bankers is a guy named Rudyard Raines, who he kind of looks like the Monopoly man. I think there's a line in, in the book that says he doesn't wear a monocle, but, you know, it would fit his face well if he did. Uh, and then there's a lawyer named Sybil Fitzgerald, who's just kind of a cool, collected, uh, you know, wordsmith. Um, and so Durwood comes in there and tries to interrupt their fancy dinner and get them to give them some straight answers about what is the fate of the town? Are you going to lay everybody off? Is the town going to go bankrupt? You know, or is, is, um, is Hogan going to go bankrupt? So he tries to get in there and get in, there and get in their business and, uh, and figure out what Carol needs to know about the, the company. Yeah, well, you know, I've seen this also, which really gets me annoyed, is that when you're talking to somebody and they go, yeah, don't worry, it's going to be okay, they just placated him. I want to smack him in the head. That gets me (laughs) real, oh, my God. You know, you do that when you go to a lot of offices, different type, yeah, don't worry, it's going to be okay. No, you know, we'll we'll take care of it, you know, very well, you you know what. So why are they just placating him, and they, why don't they take him seriously? Which is a serious mistake, people. You don't mess with Derwood. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, they have kind of a very superior dismissive attitude. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we get the idea that they're based in New York or maybe around kind of East Coast cities somewhere, and they're down in Texas. And so they see Derwood with the cowboy hat and the dog. Uh, there's a line in Anarchy of the Mice, I think, that says, they would not be the first nor the last to underestimate this son of a West Virginia coal miner. And I think that's um, it's appropriate again here. You know, they definitely um, they definitely don't think much of Durwood. And then this book being a, the first book to kind of focus exclusively on Durwood. You know, in the first book of the series, mm-hmm. we had all three characters and a lot of crazy plot stuff going on. And in Dear Durwood, we kind of pull back and we see a little bit more about Durwood. We see him interacting with his son. We see him in a kind of a romantic situation. So it's a chance to find mm-hmm. out more about Durwood. And I think most readers will will feel that there's, you know, after reading this, that there's a little more to Durwood than just, you know, the action kicks and punches and all that, that uh, that that we've, we've learned more about what makes him tick. I love this guy. But this is the part that I really like the best. He leaves and they attack him. It's a mistake, people. Don't mess with him. How did he develop... His fighting skills, because like I said, if I need something taken care of, we're going to have to get him to be a real-life person. <laughs> right, right. That's I mean, so really I think cool. There's not a lot in the text that tells exactly where he became such a good fighter. I mean, he's, he's certainly he's an ex-Marine and kind of an all-around tough guy, and we know that in his cases with Quaid and Molly, 
he goes up against all kinds of bad guys and, you know, mm-hmm. big British mercenaries in the last story and, you know, people from all across the globe that are experts. So, um, so I think, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of an old country boy. I think he gets his strength from doing farm chores and things like that. Um, but we haven't really dived into yet in the series where his fighting skills come from. So maybe that's something for the next book or two. Well. This is really amazing. So the foreman is behind it, but then something happens to him. And why do they want Derwood for the murder? He would never do that. Not on purpose anyway. Right, right. There's a point in the story there where things kind of yeah. go from bad to worse for Derwood because he's been in a fight with somebody who's kicked him, um, and then later it turns out that this per- this person uh, meets a bad fate uh, in the hospital, yeah. and the, the authorities want to want to blame Durwood for it. Um, and Dur, you know, Durwood is pretty familiar with lethal force, and he feels confident that his kick did not constitute lethal force. So he's confident that he didn't do it, but it's it's not helping him out much in in the town of Chickasaw. He's uh, he he's going to get the he's going to get the crime pinned on him and he's going to it's going to put him in a, a rotten situation. Now this part was priceless. See, this is why everybody's got to read the book list. You wouldn't believe this to start with. There's a jailbreak. How did you create that and why did the mayor risk it all for Derwood? You see, watch out people. <laughs> right. I mean, I I think <laughs> I knew that Derwood was going to need to break out of jail, so I spent several days just sitting with the situation and kind of imagining I was in, sitting in some rural jail and, you know, what might the conditions be like, you know, what kind of quirks would be there, what kind of weaknesses the facility might have, and, you know, eventually you just kind of get a few ideas and they come together and then you just revise, revise, revise. Um, so I came up with the, the jailbreak scenario. And then, yeah, the mayor has a role here where um, she's in a tough spot because, She's brought Durwood into town, so Durwood, in some ways, is her, you know, is a representative of her and, and reflects upon her. Um, and when he gets into trouble, she's got to decide if if she's going to back him all the way, 100%, and believe in him, or if, or if she's going to back away and distance mm-hmm. herself. Um, because as the mayor, you know, her reputation is at stake, and uh, and things don't look so good for Durwood at that point in the story. So she's got a tough choice to make. Well, I just want everybody to know, I just got the email on my phone. The five stars are out there on Amazon, everybody, so you want to read this. And I haven't been giving five stars very recently. It's very sad. Thank you very much. Your five stars, Derwood, is is, is out there shining. So things get tense, and Derwood means Evie, hmm, the mother of Charles and Joan. What does she say about them, and why is she glad that Derwood is there? At least somebody's glad he's there. I'm glad he's there. (laughs) <laughs> right, so Evie Evie Lyles is the uh, the mother of Chester Lyles, who is yeah. um, kind of the the person on the Hogan Consolidated side that's talking to the lawyers and bankers. So the the Lyles family is kind of interesting. I mean, if the Hogan family is the family that you know owns Hogan Consolidated and has run them all these years, the Lyles family is the other big kind of rich, influential family in town. And they have a different story from the Hogan's. They were a big oil family, a big you know oil boom family, and they were philanthropists. So they gave a lot of their money away, and they made you know art centers and and different uh, you know missions to help the disadvantaged in the town of Chickasaw. Um, 
And so, but as the story begins, they've kind of run out of money, and, and the town or the uh, the family's a little bit down on their luck. Um, and Evie had two sons, and they they both did it a little bit different thing. Jode, one of the sons, uh, kind of went the very progressive route, anti corporate. You know, he drives a, this kind of veggie car, Durwood calls it, that runs on recycled vegetable oil from restaurants around town. You know, and he's very anti Hogan. And then her other son, Chester, is the one who goes to work for Hogan Consolidated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of parents maybe have that experience that their kids end up kind of choosing different paths and you don't know exactly why one did one mm-hmm. and one did the other thing. Um, but that's certainly the case with the Lyles family. You know, they've got a complicated relationship with Hogan where Chester is working for them and then Joe, the other son, you know, thinks that they're awful and exploitative and things like that. Um, and so as the story begins, uh, you know, Evie, Derwood meets Evie because Derwood thinks he needs to get to know Chester Lyles and Chester Lyles' family to understand, mm-hmm. you know, Chester, whatever, whatever's going on with Hogan. You know, it seems as though somebody's sabotaging Hogan. You know, is Chester part of that or is mm-hmm. he trying to save the company from that? And so in order to get to know that, he, he goes and finds Evie, the mother, and gets some of the backstory about Chester Lyles and understands why you know, why he's come to be the way he's come to be and what, what are the what's the context for his character. Yeah, I know. It's scary, let me tell you. So it's it's almost like real life. Well, my mother directed me when I was three to become an educator. If everybody would listen from the start, you wouldn't have this problem. No, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So who is Holcomb? And tell us about Nancy Cortez. Now, there were people that got hurt because of faulty products. So how does that come into this, and who is Holcomb? I mean, really, this is so this is really complicated. This plot, even though it's really one of the best ones I've read in a while. Seriously. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. But so Holcomb, Britt Holcomb is is somebody who works for Rudyard Reigns on the investment banker side. So he's mm-hmm. he's one of these kind of fancy uh, banker types, but um, he also is kind of a hooked up goon. He's sort of the you know, he's a banker, but he's maybe he's one of these bankers that would go to the gym every day at lunch and kind of pump himself up and, and things like that. So even though he's kind of part of the suit-and-tie crowd, he's also kind of got some muscle. And so uh, as Durwood comes onto the scene uh, and inserts himself and tries to get some answers, you know, this guy Britt Holcomb, who's sort of an underling for the investment bankers, he sees Durwood and, you know, knows Durwood's tough guy reputation, and he feels like, with his gym muscles, he's going to be able to take this uh, this country boy down a peg. <laughs> so, so Holcomb is going to be one of the uh, the antagonists for Durwood, and then Nancy Cortez and the others. Um, mm. So Durwood, one of the things that is is uh, is plaguing um, Hogan is that their parts. You know, I said they made hinges and and things like that. These sort of unexciting parts, but some of their parts have started yeah. failing in the last you know five years or so. Um, and so there have been a bunch of lawsuits filed, uh, some class action lawsuits and just individual lawsuits against the company claiming injury. And as Derwood comes into the story, you know, he, he assumes that these would be uh, fraudulent lawsuits. Just, I mean, Derwood, he's, from, he's kind of a country boy from West Virginia. He doesn't trust lawyers. He doesn't trust lawsuits. You know, I think that, you know, culturally that's kind of where he is. And so when he sees that there are all these lawsuits filed against Hogan, you know, because a hinge broke or something, you know, you can kind of just see him rolling his eyes under his cowboy hat. He he doesn't buy it. 
And so there's a point of the story where he has to do some investigating and, and reaching out to these victims directly and the, the family members of the victims. Um, and, I, you know, I won't give it away, but he, he's, some of his assumptions are challenged. You know, and I think throughout the story, Durwood finds himself questioning if, you know, his kind of bias mm-hmm. against kind of lawyers and big city types, you know, if that's really warranted or if it's, if it's clouded his judgment and, uh, and it's causing mm-hmm. him to make some mistakes in the case and if he's maybe just out of his depth. You know, so that, that and that's kind of some of the the deepening of his character. I think that made me made me want to write this standalone with Durwood. I, I think, yeah. Well, basically, I've lost my faith in the legal profession a long time ago. So I, I'm with Durwood. <laughs> You're with yeah, Durwood, I'm, yeah, I'm 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 serious. I'm seriously with Durwood, without a doubt. Yes. What can I say? So, how does Durwood? They want to sell Hogan Consolidated. Can he actually stop help them stop the sale of that? Even right. though so, Hogan wants to get rid of it? Yeah, so he finally does get some answers and one of the answers that Derwood gets is that Hogan is going to be sold, you know, at kind of a cut rate price and the person that they're gonna sell it to is Rudyard Range, you know, basically investment bankers who have been advising the company for years. So you know, right away that just seems like a conflict of interest, you know. I mean, you've got these investment bankers that have been advising this this company and then lo and behold at the end their solution is just sell it to us for cheap you know so and and there's also a time element here where it's going to happen in a few days so Durwood the clock is really ticking he's got to figure something out you know he's got to find out um I guess you know to stop the sale of of Hogan Salty he's going to have to find some kind of fraud or conspiracy or some kind of evil doing um and he's a little bit out of his depth because you know, as he gets into it with Carol Bridges, the mayor, you know, it means they're going to be looking through legal documents and trying to do, you know, sort of forensic analysis on lawsuits and stuff like that. And that's that's not really natural to Durwood. I mean, Durwood is more of a, you know, fight scene and, a, you know, jumping out of helicopters and stuff like that. So he's really got to stretch himself. Um, you know, I won't say exactly how he how he succeeds or if he succeeds, but he definitely is going to have. It's going to require him to go back to basics. You know, he's going to take things back to the factory floor, back to labor and hard, honest work, and uh, he's got to find something there because, you know, with all this cloud of paperwork and things like that, it's it's not his world, and he's got to he's got to get in his comfort zone in order to to solve the case. This is true. Now we've got Deputy Alonso. How come people didn't realize that he had a brain? <laughs> what made him realize that something was wrong? This guy's not stupid. Right, right. I really like this guy. I think, uh, yeah, in every book there's always like one little side character or something that you really enjoy. And, and I, I like Deputy Alonzo a lot. He's uh, yeah. he's kind of a fanboy of the Third Chance Enterprises uh, gang as the story starts. Um, you know, the mayor, Carol Bridges, is not a reader of Soldier of Fortune magazine, but Deputy Alonzo, who works for the mayor, uh, you know, calls to her attention that, hey, you know, there's this guy, Derwood Oak Jones, and he's got this ad in the Soldier, Soldier of Fortune. So Deputy Alonzo is the one who puts Carol Bridges on to Derwood in the first place. Um, and he comes in and gets to meet Durwood, and he's kind of starstruck, and, and he's always trying to get on Durwood's good side by giving him some kind of inside information about what the lawyers and bakers are up to. You know, he kind of ogles the Durwood's van. Durwood has a this van again, this beat-up van again with a bunch of weapons inside that he drives around in, and Deputy Alonzo is kind of starstruck by that. So I think, you know, as the story starts, we think that Deputy Alonzo is just – 
you know, he's just sort of a fan and a small-time deputy, and not much is gonna is gonna come from him as a character. But uh, as the story goes on, we see that there's there's gonna be more to Deputy Alonzo. Yeah, I know. Now, something else that made me very tense. Now, and I know I'm looking at Chapter 23, which I'll refer to after we talk about this one. Mm-hmm. How did they capture my mayor? Yeah, yeah. So, so definitely, uh, her association with Durwood is 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 going to get her in trouble here. Um, yeah. And and uh, I think I think we can assume that there's some some surveillance of of communication going on there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I won't give too much away, but uh, no. yeah. While they're split, while Durwood and and the mayor split up, yeah, something uh, something is going to befall the mayor, right? That's all we're going to say. And we're not even going to say if she gets out of it, because she's not allowed to know. In order to find out what really happens, you have to find. But there's, like, Quaid Reigns and Sybil Fitzgerald, oh, well, they, are they part of, they're part of that other group. We don't like them. I'm really right. serious. <laughs> no, there's a whole bunch of them that are just not very nice people. I know. Right. It's, it's, right. So, it's so sad. So do they really think that they'll get the police to believe that that things are an accident that happened? And is this whole town corrupt? Because basically they need the FBI to come in and figure out what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, I think the villains of the story definitely have the idea that they're above the law, or at least that they're yeah. smarter than, or at least the idea that they're smarter than the people who are administering the law, you know, in Chickasaw, Texas. Um, so I think they feel like, they feel pretty confident that the locals are going to, bundle the case so that they have a little bit of leeway um, to get away with what they're trying to do. Um, and it's interesting, there's a point where Durwood is, is kind of arguing with the villains, and and Sybil Fitzgerald, who's the head lawyer, makes a comment that, you know, yeah. well, in these little towns like this, you know, the, these podunk towns, you can always find somebody who's willing to stab their neighbor in the back, you know, so she kind of explains that she doesn't have to do all the dirty work cuz she can always find somebody who's who's willing to kind of be a turncoat and and uh so I guess her view would be that a lot of the town is corrupt or easily corruptible at least you know and obviously that's a cynical point of view and I don't think Durwood would agree I mean I think over the course of the story Durwood comes across generous people in Chickasaw he comes across people who are petty you know lonely people mm-hmm. joyful people I mean he comes across all types um, and I think even though Durwood can be a little bit of a moralist, you know, I think deep down he has a, a strong appreciation for people and their their diversity and the, their basic humanity. So I don't think Durwood would feel the the whole town was corrupt, but um, the lawyers and the and the bankers certainly feel as though they can corrupt the town. Well, if you listen to the news, you begin to wonder if this isn't really true. Seriously. <laughs> So who is Deputy Gomez? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Before we get to the good part. Yeah, I think, uh, let's see, Deputy Gomez is, um, he's the, the, he works at the jail there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so he he's definitely, uh, he's definitely not on Durwood's side. I think Deputy Gomez has yeah. kind of an interesting, uh, Backstory where he mentions that he worked for the previous mayor. So um, Carol Bridges was voted into office, but Deputy Gomez had worked at the jail for a while before uh, under the previous mayor. Um, and he he doesn't think nice things at all about Carol Bridges. Thinks that she's kind of a phony and things like that. So 
Um, he's not he's not the ideal jailer. He's not going to be sympathetic to Durwood or to the mayor. Um, but there is a point where the mayor comes in and and kind of bulls through his resistance uh, to get to talk to Durwood while he's while he's um, in jail. Well, how does anyone, even a mayor, get the information that they need to take these people down? I mean, there's got to be other people that had to help her. If she needs papers, information, financial stuff, how do you get that stuff? What kind of research do you have to do in order to figure out, figure that out? Because that's important, people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in a case like this where a lot, as I said, there's a lot of legalese and a lot of cases and lawsuits that she had to pour over and she and Derwood both had to. So, you know, I think she just, he rolls up her sleeves and picks up the phone, and she ends up calling a lot of different uh, jurisdictions where some of these lawsuits were filed. And um, again, you know, not without giving too much away. I mean, they do kind of. She does does the legwork of talking to county clerks and people like that to to find out that the lawyers are kind of playing both sides of it and, and engaged in some unethical things. So there's a lot. It, on the corporate side, there's a lot of conflict of interest that's portrayed, and there's there's a lot in the story about. I won't say a lot because I don't think it bogs down with it, um, but we certainly deal with the theme of, you know, corporations and advisory people like lawyers and bankers that are advising, but then have a real vested interest in the way things are going to come out, you know, and the the ways in which that's can be destructive, especially for kind of small towns that are dependent on companies like Hogan. Well, it's like, I know, I was just turned on the news this morning, and there are so many little biz, boy, small businesses up here that are yeah. praying to God that that um, they stay open. And because right. people are not following the guidelines and the restrictions for this ridiculous pandemic, some of them right. may be closed. So now all of a sudden the, uh, the governor wants to close non-essential businesses. That, yeah, that and I think that, that's co- tough. Scare, I mean, that's I what think... scares me. That's what scares yeah. me. Yeah, because, you know, businesses, and we have the same thing here in Michigan, that, you know, the essential things, of course, are all the large uh, big box stores, right? And so the non-essential ones, the first ones to get closed, are the small businesses. You know, it's a hard... It's a hard situation because, you know, you need those box stores to be open so people can get the stuff they need. But, you know, at the same time for these smaller, you know, places that have to close, I mean, you know, and it's it's nobody's fault but the virus that it ends up being like this, right? So it's it's tough all the way around, you know. It is, and they better not close my hairdresser. I just finally look myself again, really. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it took me four months to be, to look like me. Okay, now... <laughs> How did how did Derwood and Carol Bridges how did they finally realize that there was something there between them? That was so cool. That was unexpected too. Right, right. Um yeah, I mean I think it it was just I think the romance angle is just kind of simmering beneath the surface a little bit. Yeah. And uh you know, and for me as a writer it was um I mean I've had a few books that have had you know, a little bit of a romantic thread woven into a story, but this uh-huh. this is probably the book with the the strongest romantic thread. So I had to, I, I actually read a lot of romance as I was writing this book to kind of come up to speed on how people do that convincingly and uh, and how to make it work. And, and you know, I think you know you have characters and you can only you know you can't write somebody else's romance. I mean, it's got to be romance that would kind of be appropriate to Durwood and Carol and what their their um, their characters are like. So 
I, you know, I think the the tone of it is definitely kind of uh, subtle and, uh, and and like Durwood, you know, kind of serious, um, but but also earnest, you know, and heartfelt. And so it does, you know, as, as the story moves along, we do get uh, a little bit more than a professional relationship between Carol and Durwood. Yeah, I know. You could feel the tension, seriously. But then the, in your other book, um, the last one that I read, uh, did Molly and Quaid all have, all right, have right. something going on. And the, and the kids love him. They really love him. <laughs> Whereas yeah, in most yeah. cases, they might really hate him, right? So, right, right. <laughs> that, that is so cool. So with this pandemic and the issue of jobs, it's more than a reality in, um, in, in this. Why was this a major, major issue? And how does it, you know, a town like this, how do you recover? I mean, they're not recovering up here that well at all. It's really hard. Um, I, I go into small businesses, and if I go into the deli, I take pictures of what Chef Maria makes, and I put it on my Facebook wall so everybody can see it's been wholesale deli, that Twins yeah. Deli, Chef Maria makes a whole bunch of stuff that's really good. So mm-hmm. what do they do? I mean, in this, this particular case, how, do, how does this town of Chickasaw, how are they going to recover if they lose the jobs? Because I'm not going to tell you if, if they win or lose. Yeah, that's right. So I'm not going to say if they, if exactly what they have to do, but I will say that there are a couple mm-hmm. scenes where we see Carol Bridges, the mayor, doing things mm-hmm. to prepare for that. You know, I mean, she, she's got binders open on her desk at the mayor's office where she's looking at retraining programs and she's looking at, uh, you know, can we retrain people to be drivers, you know, long-term drivers because, you know, truck driving is something that is, there's still a lot of people that, you know, are getting jobs there, but then she mm-hmm. says, well, you know, there's there's also automated cars coming on the, the road, so maybe in 10 years those jobs will be obsolete. So I think as somebody who's a leader of a town like that, you know, you, you've got to be creative. You've always got to be kind of staying on top of where the world is moving and where the next jobs will be, you know. So I think, you know, there's no easy answer for it other than just to be vig- to be vigilant and creative and relentless and trying to find, you know, find work for your people, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody, you know, the world changes, and then, of course, it changes, you know, you get the pandemic, and it changes in a, you know, a complete 180-degree direction than you thought it was changing, right? So I think all these towns have no choice but to just be nimble and, and keep on their toes. That's what that's what's really scary, even today. I mean, how do people decide? You've been in construction, you've been in this, I've been in that all my life, and now it's not there. How does a town like Chickasaw or any town decide? Okay, maybe we're going to bring in um, food industry. Maybe we're going to bring in the lumber industry. Maybe we're going to bring in something else. How how do you do that? And then how do we create the final scenes, which kept me nervous. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just like with the jail scene, I mean, I kind of took a while yeah. and just kind of sat with it, and I'll sort of brainstorm things, and, you know, what are the, what are the ways we can bring all the major threads of the story together? I definitely wanted a strong, kind of appropriate setting um, that, that made sense with Chickasaw, Texas, and this blue-collar town. You know, obviously, it's got to be dangerous. We've got to have some heroic reversals. Um, and, of course, I had to find a, a way to get Sue Ann to play a major role in the climax. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, the dog is always uh, – the dog's always got to be uh, 
a big part of the story. I think Sue Ann is probably, Sue Ann, who's Derwood's blue tick coonhound dog, is always in reviews and when I talk to people about the series. I mean, they always, Sue, would, Sue Ann is just universally people's favorite uh, character. Um, and so she does have a big, a big role at the end here in uh, Dear Derwood. Yeah, she she is my favorite character in the book, seriously. But if Dur if Derwood could speak out, what would he say were his strong points? I'm adding more questions, by the way, people. Oh no, no problem. What would no he problem. say yeah. were his What would he say were his strong points, and what drives him to do what he does? Yeah, I think Derwood would say his strong points are. You know, just that you know he means what he says. Uh, you know, he 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 cuts to the chase. Um, I think he he keeps he has a strong moral compass for sure. You know, and uh, when we see Derwood with Quaid Rafferty, who's the slick-talking politician from uh, Massachusetts that we meet in Anarchy of the Mice and in some of Derwood and Quaid's online adventures. Um, he uh we kind of really get to see that uh that dichotomy between Quaid who's kind of a moral relativist who will take jobs for you know bad guys and things like that and can talk himself into anything um and Durwood who has this really centered sense of justice and and doing the right thing um so and i think that sense of justice is central to why he 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 wants to take these jobs on you know why he he goes and and travels across country to do this on behalf of the town of Chickasaw. You know he just, uh, you know he he just has a real firm sense of of doing the right thing. And I think Dur- you know Durwood also he's lost his wife. His wife Mabel yeah. uh, died in Iraq, and one of his sons uh, died in a, a military training operation. So he does have a son in New York who's very different from him, who we do meet in the story. Um, but I think, you know, Derwood has a little bit of a feeling of being alone in the world, um, and I think he's got to make his own mission. You know, he doesn't have this large kind of boisterous family around him, so he's got to kind of go out and find a way to to achieve happiness for himself um, because, you know, he, has, he ha- does have a life that's met with a lot of tragedy. So maybe that's why he likes Carol so much, because he feels like there's some kind of rock, there's some kind of support, something. Right, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Derwood and Molly and Quaid, are you bringing them back again and uh, in another in another novel together, or are you just going to keep him as a single person in a single novel? I I'm definitely going to bring them back together. Um, right now, you know, so the first book, as I mentioned, is Anarchy of the Mice, which has all three. Yeah. And then this one is Dear Derwood. Um, which is just Derwood. The next book in the series is called The Begonia yeah. Killer, and there's a there's a sample for The Begonia Killer at the end of Dear Derwood, and it's a case, a McGill investigator's case. So Molly McGill, oh, who's it. one of the three heroes, she has a private investigator business called McGill Investigators, and so it's a McGill investigator's Ooh. case about about this guy who uh, who hacks his begonias up. Actually, the neighbor, one of his neighbors observes this kind mm-hmm. of deranged-looking guy hacking his begonias up in a crazed way, and she gets this wild theory that he's keeping two boys hostage in his basement or something. And so she calls Molly um, Molly up at McGill Investigators and says, you know, I have this suspicion. My husband thinks I'm crazy. The police think it's crazy. But I really believe this guy who I saw hack up his begonias 
I just believe he's he's a zealot. He's crazy, and I think he's got these two boys that are missing from the town. I think they're in his basement, you know. And so Molly has got to uh, do some investigating and figure that out. So that that book is called The Begonia Killer, and that centers just on Molly. And then after that book, I've already got another one in the works called Astro, oh, good. Which, which focuses on Quaid. So. You know, you have Quaid. Durwood got his book here, Durwood Oak Jones and Dear Durwood. Molly has a book called The Begonia Killer that's coming out, will be out next year. And then Quaid's Astroplane focuses just on Quaid, and it may also be out next year. We'll see. Um, and then after that, yeah, I do have plans to do another big kind of Anarchy of the Mice style adventure oh, where, you know, the whole fate of the world is, is at risk. And uh, Durwood and Quaid, you know, bicker like an old married couple again, like they like they did in Anarchy of the Mice. And who knows if Molly and Quaid are going to get back together or stay together. So I do have plans for that. I mean, I haven't exactly figured out, you know, what will be the mix of, you know, these these shorter standalone series, you know, the Durwood that we have with Dear, Dear Durwood here. I mean, I've even kicked around the idea of doing a short story with with uh, Sue Ann, you know, from Sue Ann's point of view, something like oh, that, nice. something kind of fun. So. It's a little bit up in the air. We'll see how readers react to it, you know. I mean, right now, I think people really love Dear Durwood. Um, they were both Kirkus-starred reviews, so it seems like critics seem to like both of them. So um, I'm going to kind of see, you know, how they sell, what which books people really uh, get into, you know, as as to what the mix will be as far as, like, really big, long adventure stories like Anarchy of the Mice versus, you know, Dear Durwood is, almost reads like a procedural. It's kind of like an atmospheric crime procedural. I think it's a little mm-hmm. more of a traditional narrative structure for a lot of readers. And so I think it's a pretty easy read for most people, whereas Anarchy of the Mice has a lot of kind of crazy diversions. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the, the plot moves pretty quickly, but still I think, you know, it's got a lot of stuff in it. And it, and I think uh, Dear Durwood is much more kind of cut to the bone. And, you know, it, it's more of a, a mystery unraveling in the way that most people are used to. As readers, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see kind of mice was good. It makes you think, and it makes you think about what's going on with the process in the world today, and people right. that would come out and exactly say exactly what they wanted to do. So you got to right. read that, people. Okay, so before I forget, Wednesday, Circle of Dead Girls. The author will be here on the thirteenth. Hunting Men. On the fifteenth, Charles Salzberg, Ross Clavin, and Tim O'Mara in their trilogy, Third Degree. You want to read stories that'll give you the chills? Oh my God! Now, the King of Horror, the guy that writes the best, scariest books in the universe, Vincent Zandri. On the twentieth, the girl who wasn't there, or was she? That's all I'll say about that. On the twenty-second, Murder Forgotten. And on the 26th and 28th, I decided to do something totally out of character. Pastor Michael Jones will be here on the 26th, and we're going to talk about Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. It's very interesting, the book. And on the 28th, if you listen to my lead-in song, Trinity House Entertainment Inc., Rachel and Michael will be there to talk about their latest song, United We Stand and Why Should We Wait. They're so inspirational. Whenever I feel like I need to just chill out, I listen to Rachel and Michael, and they'll be here. And no way to start, the best way to start November with D.P. Lyle and Rig. He writes for Criminal Minds and and uh, Law and Order. That's so cool. So let's you get that. Got some great shows coming up, Fran. <laughs> Those sound great. I I I'm impressed. Not only that, Jeff, I have I am just booked something for January 18th. 
So I'm all the way through it. I just John Land. I have to announce this because I love John Land. John Land just took on uh, the Capital Margaret Schumann Capital Murders, February 16th. Be there at 10 Metro Murder on the Metro. It's fantastic, and I'm kind. He's kind of disappointed, and so am I. He was doing the Murder She Wrote Jessica Fletcher book. Uh, November 23rd, you'll get an exclusive with me on what happened and why someone else, is, unfortunately, is taking it over. Because he brought Jessica Fletcher into the 21st century. It is absolutely, absolutely the best. Now, how do you decide on the plot of your story? I get, I'm getting questions, and people are asking, you know, many of the writers, many of the authors, how do you decide on your topic for what you write? I mean, in Anarchy of Mice, there was one thing, and in this one, it's different. How do you decide on what you're going to write? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's always tough to, to narrow it down. I mean, I think myself, I have, every, you know, every day I, I kind of, I walk around with a notebook and I take notes about mm-hmm. either a news story or just an interaction mm-hmm. I have with another parent at school or, or something like mm-hmm. that. and. And I'm always kind of trying to turn them around in the stories. I mean, I post on social media, I post little vignettes or snippets of short stories, too. You know, so I just I just enjoy seeing a character or seeing a situation and kind of dreaming it forward, if you want to, if you want to say that, into a story. So I, I always have a lot in my notebook and on my computer, on my hard drive, um, of, of possible stories. And for Durwood, you know, obviously in the first chapter of Dear Durwood, you know, he goes through his uh, his list of letters that he got from Soldier of Fortune. I think there are four or five there that are named there. And any of those mm. could turn into, uh, you know, Dear you know Dear Durwood stories, you know, or, or novels in the future. You know, I think I, I kind of, a lot of times I'll try to do an outline, like a really quick and dirty outline of mm-hmm. a couple of the different ideas that I have. And then I'll say, well, which one just kind of gets my blood pumping the most? You know, which one am I most excited for? You know, sometimes I'll also look around at the world and say, you know, is there one that is particularly appropriate for the time that we're in right now? You know, so I think you yeah. can't completely ignore that. I mean, I, I'm not really somebody who tries to to chase current events on stories because I think, you know, by the time mm-hmm. you get the thing written and then you've got to do all the editing and the work to it, you know, you're, if you're really chasing trends, I think it's pretty hard to hit them because they may be gone by the time you're, you've got your book out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am always, uh, you know, just kind of compiling ideas and kind of trying to cull them. And uh, and I also am somebody who work on – I work on more than one story at a time. I mean, at the same time yeah. as I'm working on Begonia Killer, I'm also working on a follow-up to the Pine Box Vendetta which is the the sort of political thriller oh, I that, that I released book. earlier in the year. So, you know, I've got that one also kind of, you know, I'll, maybe I'll work three days on Begonia and then I'll work two days uh, on uh, the Pine Box sequel. So um, so for me, and for me, I think it just kind of keeps me fresh to be working on different things um, and in different modes. The Pine Box series is a little bit more literary than these, the Anarchy yeah, of Life, Dear Durwood books are a little more like kind of action-adventure stories. And then I enjoy writing in both kind of modes. And then, you know, even some kind of rom- bringing in some kind of romance elements as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. it, just, it, just, it just keeps me fresh as a writer to every day to have a new kind of a challenge or a new kind of a scene that I need to put down on paper. Well, I have to brag just a drop. Not a lot. Okay, <laughs> Um, I got the very nice surprise this morning from Partners in Crime, a beautiful showcase on my book, What If. 
because of the pandemic and people have issues and I'm wearing masks, I decided to create different worlds. I'm reading it from what I wrote. That might have people realize we could live in a world that is even worse. So what if you conform to wearing a set uniform every day? What if your job was someone placed you there and you didn't have any advance in? What if your family just disappears? What if? And I thought long and hard about this, and I decided that I would write this just to get people to think and realize if you're living in the world that we're living now, maybe you need to figure out how to get along in it because when I write the next one, which is called What's Next, it's a lot worse. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, it's different. And I've gotten some mixed reviews, like we all do. Um, I've got six five-star reviews as of this morning, and I've got a couple of unusual interpretations, and that's okay. And I'm just hoping that nobody writes anything very negative. One person said the story started slowly. They were meant to start exactly like that. They're all different. But what would you do when you live in a world that everybody had to wear the same thing, everybody's face had to be the same, and if you're different, you were X out? Interesting, right? That's different. Yeah, sounds great. So, yeah. so if the may- the, you're bringing back the mayor in this, right? So how do you decide, do, would you ever bring the characters from one book into the characters of the other? And the Pine Box Vendetta was one of my favorites this year. Oh, and I should announce this, because it's something I do every year, I'm not going to tell you who, but in no, the end of November, I give a, I give awards every year. I'm allowed, because they think like I'm Kirkus and whatever, publishes right. weekly. The Just Reviews rewards will come out in December, and that's all I'm going to say. I give them to the author, but we might give them to the character this time. I'm not excited yet. And everybody gets excited because it's a big, um, my publisher does the most beautiful awards and stuff like that, and we make a big deal out of it. And then we invite a whole bunch of people to brag about themselves in December, so it's a lot of fun. So would you take ever take the characters from one book and combine them to the character? Do you think Derwood would ever want to go to the town where Pine Box comes from? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, you know, actually, there's a um, there's a really thin connection between the worlds that I think probably yeah. most readers didn't get. Is that Quade Rafferty? Um, his backstory is that he, you know, he was a politician in uh, in Massachusetts before he had a fall from grace, and then he he formed Third Chance Enterprises with Derwood and Molly. But before he had his fall, he he was raised in a political family called the Gallaghers, which mm-hmm. I think it's just mentioned in Anarchy of the Mice. Um, and the Gallaghers are one of the families that fight with the Pru- the conservative Pruitts in the prime in the Pine Box Vendetta series. So the worlds are not um, are not very well aligned, and um, I definitely think there'll be some characters that'll move from say an- like Anarchy of the Mice has a, a million characters in it. Um, and in yeah. some of the standalone books, like Durwood's book, I guess we didn't really have anybody come in from Anarchy of the Mice in Durwood's book, but Molly's book could certainly have somebody come in. And I think Quaid, at some point in Astroplane, is going to fall back on Piper Jackson, who's a character I really liked in Anarchy of the Mice, um, who doesn't really become part of the team, the Third Chance Enterprises team, but I think that Piper is going to come back. And, That's uh, what I was going to ask you just now. Yeah. I was just going to so say think, that. Yeah, so I'm definitely looking for opportunities to bring um, some of the more imp- like you know somebody like Hatch or um, some of the other characters that were important in Anarchy of the Mice. I think they could definitely pop up as cameos in some of the books downstream. Yeah. 
Well, I'm glad you're not writing about the pandemic and COVID-19 because I don't think I can handle any more of that. No, and, no, no yeah. none of us need to read a, a made-up story about it. <laughs> we we yeah, live the real life of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want. To, I don't. I just got a, a book that has too many pages. It's about six hundred pages. It's a, it's about the medical industry, and I the publisher please said to him, please do me a favor, and review this. And I go, why me? Why am I being punished? <laughs> why me? <laughs> so it's inside staring at me, and it's going to be staring at me for a while because I really don't want to read it. And I'm hoping right. that I get the the ten people that said they were sending. So before we and where can we learn more about you and your and your work? And of course you're going to have to do some more you know book tour you know blog tours with Cheryl and everybody because they're Absolutely. the best. Absolutely, yeah, I've loved it. This is actually the the tail end of my third tour with Cheryl and and yeah. uh, and, and I, I just every time you know they do such a great job with the blog tour and I I love coming on here and talking mm-hmm. to you and and uh, yeah, it's wonderful that to expose the book to people that way. Um, yeah, so so my author website is jeffbondbooks.com. You can always get links to all the stories I have out and find news about reviews and things like that. Um, I also have a, another website called thirdchancestories.com that is specifically mm-hmm. about Quay, Derwood, and Molly and the Third Chance Enterprises series. And that actually has a bunch of little short stories and kind of pictures, some artwork of the different of those three characters. Um, and I post regularly on each of those characters has a Facebook page and a Twitter page, Twitter account. And I post little little snapshots or little vignettes of scenes of them and their their home lives. You know, with taking some of the secondary characters from the books and uh, and writing about them a little bit. So if you go to thirdchancestories.com, you can get some of that stuff. You know, if you read the books and you want to keep in touch with the characters or just kind of feel connected to that world, it's something that I do. It kind of, again, it keeps me fresh a little bit to be publishing stuff about that and putting it out online. So you can mm-hmm. go there as well and get a little bit more about the characters if, if you'd like to. Well, I, I do panel shows. I don't know if you do them. We do panel I'd shows. I'd love to. I'd love to do one, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I'm just asking because on December 16th, um, Dick Belsky, Jim Nesrith, and Marsha Cook that was listening before, we're going to talk about... Um, the future of publishing and marketing, mm-hmm. and how do you promote your books, and how does it change you know the types of plots that draw readers together? So if you're interested in doing that, I can add you to that one. It's December sixteenth uh, at ten. And yeah, absolutely. Be, I've got. I, I'm, I'm tapping it onto my phone right now. I'm putting it in the calendar. Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna add add you add you in because I need people that are you know that haven't been on my you know panel shows and I have you down there okay and I'll Great. send you the questions myself as soon as I figure out what know what they are yeah because <laughs> sure Facebook Twitter and LinkedIn are not the only things I've never tried and there's Reddit pick pocket and dig I know them all and stumbled upon which is fantastic um I haven't tried zoom because this way I don't have to do hair and makeup I did it anyway because I look my <laughs> I, like I did that, my hair yeah. and makeup and for, and for those of you that don't know France got blonde hair with green, purple, magenta, red, and pink highlights. I do. No, I'm serious. I really do. I'm different. And and it's fun to be different, whatever. But I, I put you in, and I will hopefully have the right email address. that I, I, I emailed this poor guy three times, and he said he wasn't you. I said, but it is you. So I'll figure it out. 
So I will let you know the question, but I'm going to put you in for that one. Thank you so much. Everybody, it's beautiful outside. I don't know how it is where you are, but here it is now. 61 degrees. It's sunny. It's beautiful. This has been fun, and I will get you the information for the 16th. I'm so glad you're going to join us. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Thanks.